fifth week of a series entitled uh, Choose Wisely, in which we're looking at the Proverbs. And what we're really looking at these 10 weeks is we're looking at the very nature of wisdom itself. Uh, And rather than recap where we've been, I only want to recap the main idea that we're going to talk about week in and week out. And it's the idea of what does it look like to choose wisely in the macro level. Like, of course, we apply it to all these different areas, but what does it mean to choose wisely? We see in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, that the wisdom of God starts with the fear of the Lord. And this concept of the fear of the Lord has three components, and I want to remind you of them, and we're going to talk about them every single week. They include, first, a humility towards God. This is where you have to ask and reflect on yourself, is my heart soft to the things of God, and am I able to be redirected, or am I hard-hearted, And am I the kind of person that goes around and thinks that I am the standard by which everything else should be judged? Are you humble? Second, do you pursue after God? Do you long for the things of God and to know know his will? All right, there you go. Do you long to know his will? And then third, when you know his will, or at least when you think you know his will, Are you willing to submit to it, to do what he says? That's why often at the end of each service, I'll conclude my prayer at the end of a sermon by saying, God, give us the mind to understand your will and the courage to do it. Yes, the courage to do it. Humility that leads to pursuit and a pursuit that leads to submission. This is what the fear of the Lord or wisdom is all about. And for these past couple weeks, and as we go throughout our series, what we're going to look at is all these individual areas in our life where we need wisdom. But when we're speaking about wisdom, what we're really speaking about is this humility. Do you have the kind of heart that will allow the word of God to penetrate it and to transform what you do? Do you pursue God's heart through his word and through asking and reflecting on the question, what would Jesus do? You know, not just the corny bracelet, but what would he do? And then are you the kind of person that makes excuses and goes in another direction, or do you do that which you believe that God is calling you to do? That's what wisdom is about. The opposite of wisdom is the fool, and the fool is the person who says, there is no God, right? Who says in their heart, yeah, God may want me to do that, but we live in the 21st century, and that's just not practical, You know, I have needs and I need to take care of myself. This is the fool. And so uh, I just believe this. When we live in line with God's will, we are better at life and life is better for us. Yes? And so I'm going to challenge you throughout this entire series to look at life through the eyes of wisdom. A couple weeks ago, we looked at our relationship with God and we saw things about that. We looked at last week, our relationship with our family. And today we come to apply the concepts of wisdom to our relationships with our friends, the relationship we have with our friends. Friendship is a really important topic in the book of Proverbs. In fact, the book of Proverbs has all kinds of stuff to say about friendship. The book of Proverbs doesn't say nearly as much about family, what we looked at last week, as it does about friendship. And I think that's because friends play such a huge role in our life. For me and for my family, friendship has been a huge part of our story just by the simple reality that my family lives seven hours away in Michigan and my wife's family lives 12 hours away now in Indiana. And so 
anytime we get together with them, it's a, it's a celebration and it's joyful and it's special, but it's rare. The Proverbs, did you know, Proverbs 27.10 says something that goes like this, better a neighbor nearby than a friend that is far away, right? And that's been part of our story for many of our families far away, but our friends are right here. And for many, you have become my friends. The community that I work out with has become my friends. Like, there's friends all over. And the friends, friendship is so important because you know what friendship kind of does and means? The friends are the people that you allow to have access and a voice into your life. Isn't that true? Your friends are the people that you allow access into the deeper parts of your life and who you allow to have a voice into your life. As we reflect on this idea of friendship, I want you to reflect on it in two questions. They're not the questions that we're going to take all day to answer, but they're questions that I want you to self-reflect on. If you write anything down in sermons, this is what you want to write. And if you don't, try to remember these questions because friendship is all wrapped up in these two ideas. The first is this. Who am I allowing to speak into my life? Who am I allowing to speak into my life? There are two really dangerous answers to this question, and they're real simple. The first one's nobody, and the second one is the wrong somebody, yeah? Nobody or the wrong somebodies are a really bad idea when it comes to friendship. But everybody has people that they're letting speak into their life. I can remember when I worked, I've told this story a bunch of times, but I worked at this little dinky insurance company in Dallas, Texas. Um, I can remember, and this is probably the only time in my life where I've really been in an environment like this, but um, I can remember I worked mainly with women, and I worked mainly, just listen to me graciously, with highly dysfunctional women as it pertains to their relationship. I've met many highly functional women. I did not work with them at this time in my life. And I can remember many instances, like this was a weekly occurrence where they were dating someone new or maybe they were dating someone long and they would come in and um, they would say, so-and-so did this again and they would always go, "Mm mm-mm, girl, you need to get rid of him, you know? (laughs) You need to get out of that relationship. And so who you allow to speak into your life is kind of a big hairy deal, isn't it? If that person is saying, I think you need to bail on your relationships at every moment when they get hard, you probably don't have a valuable speaking into your life person there. Yes? But we all have people speaking into our life. I can think of, I've had a few really core relationships. I'm the kind of person that makes many friends easily and has very few deep friends, you know? But I can befriend anybody. Um, Maybe you've thought that before. You know, I probably shake hands with 75 people a week, and I say probably 10 seconds of words to you, but hopefully those are nice. But uh, I do have a few very deep friends. My, my closest friend is Mike, and you've got to, you got to meet him back. I think it was February he came and preached, and I speak to him every single Monday, and he speaks into my life. I will assure you my wife speaks into my life as well, and she's my very close friend, you know? We all have people that are speaking into our life. Those are our friends. And second, (laughs) the second core question as it pertains to friendship, because friendship is not all just external, like who are they? 
to really do well in friendship, you have to ask this second question, which is a little bit more personal, and it is this, what kind of person am I, right? (laughs) What kind of person am I? A lot of times people will, I've had many interactions with people who think, I just can't find anybody to date these days. You know, there's just no good guys. There's no good girls out there. Do you know what dating always begins with? Yourself. (laughs) You know, if every relationship you have is uh, uh, difficult, you bring yourself into every relationship, yes? So the question when it pertains to friendship, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? That wasn't nice of me, is who am I? Who am I? What kind of person am I becoming? Perhaps this is the most important question, for you are the primary determining factor on who will you will choose to be your friends, right? As you have these two questions, who is speaking into your life and who are you, who am I? As you let those questions kind of roll around in the back of your heads, I want to take you to the book of Proverbs, and I want to show you what the book of Proverbs says about friendship. In no way what I will show you will be comprehensive, although maybe you will feel like it's a lot. It is not comprehensive. Uh, But I want to give you the general gist of what Proverbs says about friendship, and to follow so that it's easy to know when we're going, and this will let you know when I'm about to be done too, so that's nice. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to talk to you about the nature of friendship, I'm going to talk to you about the kinds of friends that you need to avoid or the kind of slash, the kind of person you need to avoid being. And then I'm going to talk to you about the kind of person that you should befriend or the kind of person that you should be. So that's where we're headed. And we're going to wrap it all up by looking at something Jesus said, because that always seems wise to do. Now, the nature of friendship, the nature of friendship. Proverbs 14, chapter 20, is where we're going to start this morning. And so if you're using one of our Bibles that we provide, and you are always welcome to, and in fact, you're welcome to keep this if you want. You can always keep these Bibles if you don't have one. You won't be stealing. I just gave it to you, and I have the authority to do so. So that's kind of cool. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 20, begins, and we see this. Now, this is a funny little section of Proverbs, but it starts to lay the groundwork. You're going to read verse 20 and think to yourself, why is this in the Bible? And then it's going to make a little more sense when we read verse 21. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. If we looked at this verse out of context by itself, we might think the Bible's teaching or Proverbs teaching on friendship is attain as much wealth as you can and then people will want to be around you, yes? But clearly this is not what is being taught. What is being taught here is kind of what we might describe a perverse uh, pseudo-friendship, a perverse, false, or pseudo-type of friendship. Have you ever noticed in life that the more that you have In fact, Solomon says this as well in the book of Ecclesiastes when he's talking about enigmas or in life. Have you ever noticed that the more you have, the more you have people who want what you have? Yes? Here, Solomon in Proverbs is making a similar observation. The poor are shunned by their neighbors for they have nothing to offer, but the rich have many friends. But this is not true friendship. This is a pseudo-false, perverse friendship. But it teaches us something that is very critical to friendship, that we 
who are real friends do not choose our friendships on the basis of what the other person has to offer us. (laughs) If we go around choosing our friends in this way, we will only ever and always see other people as tools to an ends and our ends as our desires. Does this make sense? And we know Solomon is not saying that the key to friendship is money so that people will want what you have because in the very next verse, verse 21, he says, but it is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. In the New Testament, the apostle Peter will say something very similar. You know, he will say something that goes like this, and I'm very loosely paraphrasing. He's saying this, there are lots of people who befriend people who can give them something in return. Even the heathens do this. That part I'm not paraphrasing. I don't talk like that. But it was the Apostle Peter. Even the heathens do this. But a true friend or a true person is the kind of person, true love is this, to love someone who can do nothing for you in return. Yes? Blessed is the rich, for they will have many friends. These aren't real friends. And the poor are shunned even by their neighbors. But Solomon says, it is a sin to despise those who are needy. And it is an honor, or it is a person who is blessed, who gives to those who cannot give in return to the needy. Yep. That is showing us that friendship is not simply about creating relationships with people who can give to us in return. If you've ever been to a car lot and you're looking to buy a car, or maybe some of you, I'm not like this, but some people I know like to go to car lots and just look at cars, right? I remember just the other day, we are in the market, not for a car, but we are in the market to get a new mattress soon. And we went to BJ's to look at mattresses because that's where all normal people do that. And I was like, BJ's is right by the mattress store, right? And I said, Sarah, why don't we go into the mattress store and look? That seemed very logical to me. And you know what she said? No, I don't want to go in there. They're going to be right on us the whole time harassing us and trying to get us to buy something, yeah? See, if your friendship is only extended for the need of what you will receive, you are like a salesman of the worst type. But the person who is honored by God, that's what the word means, blessed, the person who is honored by God is the person who gives without being able to get in return. And this type of friendship is possible. Let me show you what I mean. Turn a few pages over to page 526. We're going to look at Proverbs 18 and uh, verse 24. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Here we see the value of friends. One who has unreliable friends will soon come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer to a brother. So here we see that friendship is possible, but we also see the dangers of bad friends, right? The people that you hang out with, if you have unreliable bad friends, you have put yourself in a vulnerable and dangerous position. In fact, you are at risk of being destroyed. The wrong kind of friends will destroy you, but the right kind of friend will stick with you even if you are being destroyed. Does this make sense? We see this in verse 24 at the second part of this verse. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, the nature of friendship goes something like this. 
Friendship is not about taking from others, but it is about entering into a relationship of giving of yourself for the benefit of another. True friendship is not about evaluating whether this person (laughs) can give you something. True friendship is about evaluating how you can leverage yourself for the benefit of another. I want to pause here for a moment, and I want to say something very similar to what I said last week when we were talking about the marriage relationship, because friendship is similar to this. Do you not see, and hopefully you can, how risky friendship, how risky relationships are if they are lived out in a Christian manner? Do you see this? If we live out our relationships in a Christian manner, we are not going around to people anymore looking at how they can benefit and serve us, but we are looking at all times to leverage ourselves, to give of ourselves for the benefit of another person. There's incredible risk here. And the only way we'd be willing to take this risk is if we have received a kind of love that models it for us and tears down all of our inhibitions. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4 says it very, very simply and succinctly. We love him, yeah? And do you remember what he says? We love him because he first loved us, right? We love him because he first loved us. Now, for just a moment, we'll come back to this at the end of the sermon, for just a moment, let us stop and not just have this be words, we love him because he first loved us, but let us reflect on the kind of love that Jesus has given for us. A kind of love in which the Apostle Paul tells us we did nothing to deserve. This is what he means in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, when he says, while we were still sinners, this means while we could offer nothing, Christ died for us, and God has demonstrated his love for us in this. Yes? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the person who thinks to themselves, I am pretty awesome, so God must love me. There are people like that. Did you know this? Is the kind of person that will never be the best kind of friend. Do you want to know why? Because they will always look to make friends with people that are as awesome as they think they are from their scale, yeah? From their way of thinking. There is another type of person, however, and this is a gospel-centered person, a person who has been transformed by the love of Jesus, who says, I have received incredible love. How could I not extend it to another? Do you remember when Jesus used this little story and he said, there was a man, he was a Pharisee, which was like a religious person, who went to the temple and he prayed. And he prayed something that went like this. God, thank you for making me awesome. And thank you for not making me like the rest of the people who aren't as awesome. Amen. That sounds like a pretty horrible prayer, doesn't it? God, thank you for not making me like them. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And thank you for making me a good one. 
that person always thinks they are loved because they are good. They always do. And then they find it very easy to love people who they believe are equally good. Then there was another man who went to the temple to pray, a tax collector. And you know what he said? <laughs> Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah? It should nearly bring tears to our eyes. It should bring tears to our eyes because of this. We are not loved by God because we are lovely. We are loved by God because he loves us. And if we have been loved in this way, we will love others in this way. And if we do not love others in this way, I will not remind you of everything I said a couple years ago in the First John series, but First John would say, which is written by the Apostle John, John would say, maybe you should think whether you've ever understood what Christ has done for you. You think you are in, but you are not. Because if you were in, you would love others the way Christ has loved you. And a friend does that. Yeah? I should just conclude my sermon and be done. Man, somebody shook their head. That is such an encouragement to me. (laughs) To be honest, I'm tired. Let's pray and I'll go home, you know? I'm hungry. I'm tired. I got three soccer games today. I got to coach two of them. All right. No, I've got a couple more things to say. I told you I was going to talk about the people we should avoid and the people we shouldn't, so I'll do that too. Here's what we're going to do. As we look at the people we avoid and the people we should pursue, or the people that we should not become and the people that we should become, for they're one and the same, have this idea of the overwhelming and just incredibly radical love of God permeating your mind as you hear what Proverbs say, which will at sometimes be sad and then sometimes be laughable, and let's just enjoy it together. The language of the Bible. You know, let's just enjoy. First, the kinds of people we should avoid. There are uh, six kinds of people that the Proverbs really zero in, and we could find more if we wanted, but I zeroed in on these six. The first is the person who is prideful. You'll notice in Proverbs 13.10, which is on the screen, the text says this. Solomon is, says this. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Where there is strife, division, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Now, did you know that pride is perhaps the most dangerous of all the sins? And why is it so dangerous? Because it is so hard to see in ourselves. Pride is the most dangerous because it destroys us, but yet it is so hard to see in ourselves. There's a person we looked at earlier who says to themselves, I am awesome, but they don't. Have you ever, have you ever met a person and had them come up to you and say, oh, I am very prideful? It never happens, does it? Because they can't see it. But there is also another person who looks in the mirror and doesn't say I'm so awesome, but who says I am so worthless and who lives their life in complete self-absorption about what's not good about them. This is the opposite side of the coin of pride. Both will destroy you. One of the things that is so appealing to me about Christianity, and perhaps to many of you, as many of you have probably been touched by the grace of God, 
is this idea that God does not love us based on what we've done, but he loves us independent of it, freeing us from the shackles of our own worthlessness or self-importance. How can we call what God loves not lovely? And how can, we, how can we say that it's on our effort when God has done so much on our behalf to make us his child? Yeah? Pride is so destructive, but pride is so difficult because it is so hard to see. But yet, Proverbs has like an antidote to pride, does it not? And the antidote is simple, isn't it? But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Who are you? Who do you have in your life that you go to that speaks into your life? The second category or person that should be avoided as it comes to friend or the kind of person that you should avoid becoming is someone who is quickly angered. Proverbs 15.8 says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. I would not say I'm categorized by this, but every so often, I never thought I was like this until I had kids, right? Hot-tempered, quick to anger. I am like so steady when it comes to church. Like I never get angry. And every so often I have a reason to. (laughs) But I never get angry. Very calm, very patient. But at home... And I get home, and my kids are, the other day I was getting home, and you know what my kids said to me? Oh, Daddy, we're so glad we're home, you're home. And I was like, oh, man, I feel good. And then they said, can I see your phone? Because they like to play these games, but they can only play them when they have three devices that are, you know. So there's only two when I'm not home, and there's three when I'm home. So, and I wanted to turn to them and say, like, you'll never see my phone again, you know. That is my phone. But anyway, um, a hot-tempered person stirs up strife. Wherever he, he, she goes, there's division. But the one who is patient, you know what patience really is? It's just plain and simple, slowing down. <laughs> slowing down. Let's just calm this thing down for a second. Let's just not say anything. Let's not do anything that we're going to regret. Let's think this thing through. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Yeah? A hot-tempered person. The third kind of person the Proverbs tells us to avoid is the gossip. The gossip. Which is another one of those areas. Like, have you ever met a person that says, oh yeah, one of the things I'm really struggling with is gossip. Nobody thinks they're a gossip. But a gossip, according to the Proverbs, is someone who betrays another person's confidence. Here, Proverbs 16, 28, the text says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Gossip is when we say things about another person when they are not around designed to tear them down. When we say it like that, very few of us think we do it. Well, I don't do that. But what is it about us? And by us, I mean humanity, just humanity. What is it about us that takes delight in other people not doing well, you know, and then sharing it? A perverse person is that kind of person. That's what Proverbs says, not me. A perverse person does that. Fourth, the selfish 
Proverbs 18.1 says, An unfriendly person pursues selfish end and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. At the root of selfishness is an entitlement that says, me, 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 me. And a selfish person is the one that looks at others and says, what can you do for me? And when you don't do it, you get angry. Going back to the quickly angered, and when you become angered, you're thinking you're angry because you did not get from them what you wanted, which you believed you deserved. Fifth, the unreliable. Proverbs 25, 19 says, like a broken tooth or a lame foot is a reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. It's just a good idea in life to never trust or rely on someone that you can't trust, right? Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. And sixth, the cruel comedian. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is the one who deceives the neighbor and says, I was only joking. This is the one I really did struggle with for a long time. Because I was never like um, physical. You know, like in college, how there's all those pranks in the dorms. Like I never did pranks, you know, like physical pranks, like put your stuff up on a flagpole or whatever. I just am not into that. Like leave my stuff alone. I'll leave yours alone and we'll be happy. But verbally, I was horrible sarcastic and put people down and then I would just cover it up with I was only joking. Proverbs says to me and I've gotten away from this habit it would be vocationally destructive to myself. (laughs) Proverbs says that the person who does this is like a maniac who is holding flaming arrows and shooting them willy-nilly wherever they will go. Now this is not an image that many of us think about often, although I do really love Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. But (laughs) flaming arrows in the hands of a maniac sounds like a really bad idea. So is the one who goes around saying stupid little jokes that cut people down and then say, oh, I didn't really mean it. You have a big nose, ha, ha, ha. Oh, it's not really that big. Well, that's helpful, right? That kind of sucks. Don't do it. The cruel comedian. But the Proverbs not only have something to say to us about the kind of person that we shouldn't be or the kind of person we shouldn't be around, it also has to say something about the kind of person we should be and the person that we should be around. And it gives us five things, and I'm just going to run through them quickly. First, the trustworthy person. In contrary to the gossip, the gossip is the one who betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Find people and become the kind of person who keeps their mouth shut. And when you're thinking of your friend, if you ever heard me talk about my friend's uh, One of my friends, Casey, who we talked about, who just left, one of the things she came up to me and said that was one of the nicest compliments I ever received was, she said, I've never met a person who thinks their friends are as cool as you do, you know? Because anytime I would introduce somebody to like Mike or just one of my friends, I would say, oh, this person is so awesome. They do this so well. A trustworthy person, a person who doesn't go around saying the kind of things that you didn't do well, seeing you in your darkest moments, but the kind of person who sees you in your best possible light. 
Just yesterday in our church family, there's a family that used to attend our church, and um, their, their names are the Borsics, and many of you will know them, and many of you will not. And Betty Borsick, who I don't even want to guess her age, but it is that way more so, her husband recently died. And her husband recently died, and I, was, I, I, missed, I missed the service, but every time I am around that family, I always think to myself, that is the kind of person I want to be, because all of the things they say are so positive. To be around Betty Borsick is to have somebody see the very best possible things about you and see you in that light. And isn't that just a wonderful thing to say about somebody? Who wants to be known for their darkest moments? Who wants their friends and their people to reveal their darkest moments? The trustworthy person is the one that sees you in the best possible light. Second, the forgiving person, and this is one of my very favorite images that we see this morning. Proverbs 17.9, whoever would foster love, and I love that language. Who doesn't want to be a love fosterer? That would be awesome. Where I go, love follows in my wake. I hope that's true of myself. Whoever would foster love covers an offense. (laughs) But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. One of the things I try very hard to do, and I've made it a discipline. It is not a natural human tendency that I have, and it's probably not natural for you. But I tell my boys this every so often. It's one of the things I want them to learn. Just don't be offended easily. It's just a crappy life, you know? Just don't be offended easily. It's just a bad life. Always look for the best. Foster love by covering up an offense. And when somebody does something to you that's hard to understand, try to find a way to look at it in the best possible light. Did you know this truth is true? This truth is true. You have created gaps in the lives of your friends that make it hard for them to be on the other side of you. And they have had times when it's been hard for you to be on the other side of them. True friends are do what the Apostle Paul says. They bear with one another and they love. And they look over offenses. None of us love perfectly. Third, the loving A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for the time of adversity. A friend loves at all times because love is not a feeling. Love is a choice, yeah? We choose to love. Fourth, the gracious. One who loves a pure heart and speaks with grace will have the king for a friend, right? One who loves with a pure heart and who speaks with grace What is grace? Unearned favor. Unearned favor. One who looks at people in the best possible light and who is gracious will want everyone, well, everyone will want to be their friend. And lastly, the truthful. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Do you see the truth in this proverb? Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Hard things said for the benefit of the other person can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I always think about, when I think of this verse, I always think of politics. I don't think of politics in terms of elections, you know? 
But there's this author that I really like to read. He writes like leadership books. His name's Patrick Lencioni, and he talks about how politics destroy work environments. And this is the situation. But what, here's what he means by that. Politics is anytime we say something that we do not believe to hopefully get something from another person, right? Anytime we say something we do not believe to hopefully get something from another person. Like when a politician who doesn't care about a sports team at all goes into your city, wears your cap, and says, go Yankees, you know? When all the while he's a Boston Red Sox fan, right? I happen to be a Tigers fan because I grew up in Michigan. You do not choose your sports teams. And for those of you who have, that's a very big cop-out. I'm from Michigan. Do you think I would choose to be a Lions fan? I would never choose that. And for all of you Bills fans who think, woe is me, you went to four, one, two, three, four Super Bowls in a row. Stinks you didn't win. But don't talk to me about it. So you don't choose those things, right? So Politics is when we say something, we do not mean to hopefully get a result from somebody that we will benefit from. But wounds from a friend can be trusted and politics cannot. And I'm sure not all politicians are political, yeah? Just most of them probably are, but I don't care. They're probably awesome. Friends. Friendship is about not getting or taking it is about give yourself for the benefit of another person the proverbs show but really the proverbs are a foreshadow of the one who is god who took on flesh and who has modeled to us what true friendship would look like and he has modeled it because what friendship really is about is about love about loving others well. And to show you this, and as we conclude, I just want to take you to a beautiful, beautiful section of scripture in which Jesus summarizes everything we've been looking at. It's found in John chapter 15, verses 13 through 17. And if you're using one of our Bibles, it's on page 876. I want to read it to you, and I want to pray for you, that we might live out of the words of what Jesus says here. Jesus, the night before his crucifixion, goes into the upper, an upper room of some kind of house in Jerusalem, and he teaches his disciples some of those kind of last words he wants them to remember before his death. And in John chapter 15, he is in the middle of that discourse. It actually takes place in John chapter, through John chapter 13 all the way to John chapter 17. But in the middle of this discourse, Jesus sits them down and he talks to them about love and friendship. And here's what he says. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you will go and you will bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command 
that you love each other. Here in John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about what it looks like to be friends. And he is telling the disciples, you are my friends. Not in some like um, fluffy emotional way, you know, like Jesus is my friend. I have a friend in Jesus, you know. I think there's a song like that, but I didn't look it up so that I could get it, you know, sing it well to you. But it's really lame too. It's like got a person wearing bell bottoms if you go to the YouTube video. Which, whatever. It's real psychedelic. But Jesus is not talking about like a fluffy, goofy type of love. He's talking about a kind of love that says, I will leverage myself for the benefit of you. And then he says, and if, if you love me, then you will obey my commands. But did you notice this is kind of interesting language? You will obey my commands, plural. And he says, and then in verse 17, this is my command, singular, just love each other. What Jesus is saying is, if you have been loved by God, you will love each other. And if you love each other well, you will never have a difficult time finding friends. People who will speak into your life, who will bring life and not death, who will lead you on a path that you should go on, and who you will leverage themselves for you as you leverage yourself for them. Jesus has modeled it. And if we understand what he has done for us, it shouldn't even be burdensome. It is be natural outpouring. And this morning, um, and this morning, as we sit in these chairs and as we contemplate and think about the kind of church that we want to be, the kind of people that we want to be, always remember that it is based on this ethic of love, that we would be the kind of church that would open its arms as wide as our Heavenly Father opens His, as we see all throughout Jesus' teachings. We see it in the prodigal son, when the father goes to the end of his driveway every single day, waiting for the wayward one to come home, his son. We see it in the good Samaritan, who puts the man on his donkey and takes him to the inn when he's all beaten up, when all the religious people wouldn't. We see it in the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and all of these things that God is about throwing his arms open wide and offering radical, nothing in return, love. And man, if we were that kind of church and if we were those kinds of people, we would transform this world and this community. And so let us pray that it'll be so. Heavenly Father, help us to love others as you have loved us. Help us to not become prideful, but to understand the love that you have for us that leads us into joy and humility and self-sacrificial love of ourselves. Not in a way that would demean or debase us at all, but in a way that will lift others and us up as we experience what you have done. 
We pray that in an incomplete way we might foreshadow this kind of love until the day comes when you return, when you send your son return and new and all things right, so that the glory of God might shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Until that day we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we're dismissed? I want to say a short benediction over you. It is a short prayer. You don't have to close your eyes for it. In fact, maybe look at my eyes and I'll look at yours to the best of my ability. And we will all enter into a non-binding but contract in which we live out what we've just heard. Yeah? This benediction comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. It is very short and it is very beautiful. Let me look at you as I say it. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, have courage, be strong, and do everything in love. Amen. Enjoy 60 degrees and sun. Have a great fall Sunday. <laughs>